0: welcome to the Perry Hall Family Worship Center podcast. We put out weekly messages to challenge, encourage, and inspire you. You can send any questions or pray requests to connect at perryhall.life. If the message speaks to you, go ahead and subscribe for more. I want to stand up here and tell you how much me and the Apostle Paul have in common. I want to do that. I want to tell you that I'm just like him, but I'm not. Some of the things that I do have in common with Paul are not the things we want to have in common with Paul. Paul called himself the chief of sinners. And there's a lot of days that those words feel true to me. Paul famously also talked about having a thorn in his flesh, not an actual physical thorn, but a hindrance in his relationship with the Father, in his day-to-day walk, something that held him back. Sometimes that really resonates with me. I wanna tell you that what we have in common is, is the depth of faith and that just like Paul, that I've been through all these crazy circumstances, been shipwrecked and stoned and arrested just for the name of Jesus, but I haven't. And I can only hope that if I were, that I would stand strong in the faith just as Paul did. But there's two good things that Paul and I have in common, it's this. We love Jesus. We love Jesus with everything we are. And Paul loved the church. And I love the church. I love this church. I love you, church, do you understand that? This has been, go ahead, celebrate yourself. This this church has been a game changer for me and my family. I spent a lot of years in ministry and I finally feel like I'm home and I'm grateful for that. Paul spent a lot of years in ministry too and Paul would travel and he would always write the different bodies of believers that he had started or met with and he would would do a couple things. He would always encourage them. A lot of the letters start off with, every time I pray for you, every time I think of you, I give thanks for your faith, for your steadfastness, for your refusal to walk away from what God has given you. Then he also had the admonishment or the corrections where he would say things like, here's something you're doing. Maybe don't do that anymore. He would also forewarn them about things they hadn't even done yet, church. Can you imagine? You get this letter from Paul, you're excited, and he's like, hey, here's a mistake I think you might make down the road. And you're going, come on, Paul, I'm not even there. Give me a chance. But he's given that warning because he cares. So I guess you could say, Paul, in my mind, is the king of the good news, bad news situation. He's always talking about what they're doing well and what he loves about them, he's always talking about what they did wrong or what they could do wrong. And so in that spirit today, like Paul, I come here with good news and bad news. Now, I don't know about you, but when someone gives me a good news, bad news situation, I have to hear the bad news first. I have to. I want to get it out. I want to process it, deal with it, whatever that is. And I want to get to the fun stuff. Because honestly, a lot of time, the good news isn't really good news. It's just something where they're trying to soften the blow. It's like, hey, I totaled your car, but the tag's still on. That's what it usually feels like, and I want to get past that. So raise your hand in here if you're a good news first kind of person. All right, I apologize to you. Raise your hand if you're a bad news first kind of person. All right, these are my people. (laughs) You understand me, and I understand you. Here's the first part. Here's the bad news. Here's where it starts. The church isn't perfect. And when we say the church, a lot of times we mean the global church all of the churches around the world that make up the body of Christ. And while this applies to that, the global church isn't perfect. I very specifically mean this church, Perry Hall Family Worship Center, isn't perfect. And that is to say, we haven't gotten everything right. I know, right? I just found out last week, I've been working here over a year. (laughs) It's a lot to take in. The bad news doesn't end there though. I stand in front of you as your associate pastor to tell you this, I don't have all the answers. I just don't. I don't understand all 66 books and every chapter in the Bible. I've been a believer most of my life. I've gone to Bible school. I've studied, not just read, but studied the Bible for over 25 years. I've been mentored by pastors and deacons and people of God. I've had accountability partners. I have literally lost count of the Christian leadership conferences I've been to or church retreats. And I can't with any certainty look any one of you in the eye and say, hey, I have most of the answers or even half of the answers. I can't. But there's a little bit of grace with me because if we were a company, we're not. But if we were, I'm not the head guy in charge. I'm second in charge. So you can go, that's the associate pastor. You don't have to have all the answers. Pastor Dom, he's got all the answers. He would be the first one to tell you he doesn't have them all either. And I tell you, Dr. Rachel Corelli, I've had the, the opportunity to have some great conversations. She's got a lot of answers. She'd tell you she doesn't have all the answers. Now, the good news is between the two of them, they have 99.9% of the answers, so we're in pretty good hands. My point is no one in this building, no one who's ever been in this building, no one who calls himself a Christ follower has all the answers. That's enough bad news for now, right? It's about all I can take. So while it's true that this church isn't perfect. We haven't gotten everything right. And no one in this building has all the answers. Let me tell you this. We have gotten the most important things right. And we do have the most crucial answers. Do you know that this morning? I wanna put, if you can back there, let's put our, our vision statement up here right behind me. Week by week, when you walk in those doors on that wall, huge letters, these words are written up there. It's on our website. We talk about it a lot because that's what you do with a vision statement. You keep it in front of ourselves so we think about it. The problem is sometimes when you talk about it that much, when you see it that much, it kind of becomes white noise. You walk right past it. You don't read it anymore. And when you read it, you don't really think through it. So I want to take us back to middle school for a second. We're going to read those words out loud together. You guys ready for that? I'll start us off. So we exist to see souls saved lives changed and families restored by experiencing God through Jesus Christ. One more time. Let's read it loud. We exist to see souls saved by experiencing God through Jesus Christ. Amen. So I told you I've been here just over a year. And when I first met with pastor Dom and Johnny, uh, I've told some of you this already, but I kind of told my wife, you know what? These are awesome people. It's going to be a good time. There's going to be free food because I'm into that. But I don't know if there's anything here. And it was at this moment where I asked Pastor Dom, because this is not my first job. So one of the things I needed to know is hey, what is the vision of this church? Listen, because it's not my first church job, I was fully prepared for a 45-minute PowerPoint presentation with bullet points and subpoints and graphs and a nice pie chart thrown in maybe. I was buckled up and ready for that. The answer I got was one very sincere sentence, "I just want to see souls saved." It was at that moment I knew that I was in trouble, <laughs> that my future was about to change and that my vocation was about to change. "I just want to see souls saved." It's the first four words in that statement to see souls saved. Everything we are as a church, everything we do has to get ran by those first four words before it goes anywhere else. Do you understand how great that is? Now, I can tell you this. There's a lot that goes into a Sunday service. We think through these things. Okay, And this is crazy, but something I've learned along the way is that there have been millions spent on basically what amounts to market research for churches. Billions on focus groups. Not millions or billions from us, trust me. We didn't do that. But people have done it. They do test groups and focus groups to find out what kind of music should we play? What should the lights look like? What kind of coffee should we serve? And what temperature should it be? All of that stuff is thought through. And none of that stuff is bad. That actually comes from a good place. The reason you think through these things, there's a couple things that you want to do when you're putting together your Sunday service. And I'm just, I'm talking inside baseball. I'm giving you guys the way in. The reason people think so hard about those things is first you want to get people's attention and you want to hold it on the word of God. That is not easy to do today. We live in a 90-second world where if you haven't got my attention, if you haven't held it in 90 seconds, I'm moving on to the next thing. So it comes from a good place. They wanna get people's attention. They wanna hold it. The next thing is you wanna remove distractions between the lost and the gospel. The reason the lights are a certain way, the reason the music's a certain volume, the reason the temperature's a certain way. When you're walking in that door and you can meet Jesus today, the last thing we want for you to be worried about those little details. I want it to be the furthest thing from your mind. That is the absolute last thing. And I don't have a problem with any of that. I don't have a problem with the production of a Sunday service, nothing. If you know me, you know that I come from the background of a touring rock band. So crazy production has been a part of my life and I guess a part of my ministry for the better part of 20 years. 20 years. And even there in the, in the touring rock band, while we're not a worship band and I'm generally not giving a sermon, but all of that stuff still is trying to get your attention, hold it so I can tell you Jesus loves you, trying to remove distraction, to hope that you walk away with maybe just a lyric. Maybe if we play for an hour and we have crazy lights and smoke and everything else, I'm hoping that you walk away with just a little bit of truth. And that's kind of the same thing we're doing here. Does that make sense? Say amen. And I'll tell you this too. This is something I've learned about the church because I've, listen, I've worked in churches where it's a forced thing. We have the lights this way. We have the band this way. We do these things because this is what churches do. And it's not healthy. We do these things here because we're blessed to have people who are passionate about the way things look and feel and about removing distractions. I'm going to embarrass people, but Johnny and Stephen are kind of in charge of the way things look and feel around here. And they have incredible teams of like-minded people who work very hard. And this is how they serve the kingdom, by removing distractions, by getting people's attention and holding it until we can get up here and tell you Jesus loves you. So let's give them a round of applause right now for doing that week in and week out. As I said, none of that is bad. We wouldn't have it if we didn't have the people. We wouldn't force it. So I don't have a problem with any of it. The problem starts when the production becomes more important than the people. The production is up here. The people are down here. Then we've got a problem. We've got a really big problem. When we get it backwards like that, we're too focused on the production, we fail. And this one's important for me. One sign that a church has it backwards. If you ever see this, please talk to us is placing people in roles that they're not prepared for, they're not passionate about, and they're not called to just because that's how church works. We have to beg and coerce people into doing these things just because that's what we do. We wind up doing damage to the very people we're called to shepherd. Spiritual, mental, emotional damage. Those people will inevitably burn out and walk away. They absolutely will. So, we, when it looks to how we do things and why or what we do, it circles back to those first four words of the vision statement to see souls saved. We go back to that time and time and time again. If we check everything by those, we're heading in the right direction. Even when our heart is in the right place, even when we have the answer and when we're getting the decision right, and we're passionate about it, we're prepared for it, and we're called to it, that doesn't mean it's going to be easy. That's just not a guarantee. We are passionate about lost souls here, amen? Jesus is the most passionate about lost souls that's ever existed. He cares deeply, deeply. Everything he does, everything he is, is to bring lost souls home to the Father. With that in mind, I wanna look at Hebrews 12, 1 through 3. We know Jesus went to the cross. We think about it every week. We take communion. We thank him for it every week. But he didn't do it just because that's how ministry works. He didn't do it just because that's the way. There was a joy set before him. He was excited to reunite us sinners with God the Father again. So as a church, when we're passionate, when we're prepared, when we're called, we're still going to have obstacles. But if we can find joy in the salvation of lost souls, we'll push through every last one of those together. Amen? Jesus talked a lot about overcoming great difficulty to find the lost. And he talks about that in the parable of the sheep in particular. So Matthew eighteen twelve through 14 says this. What do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them goes astray, does he not leave the 99 and go to the mountains and seek the one that is straying? And if he should find it, assuredly I say to you, he rejoices more over that sheep Than over the 99 that did not go astray. Even so, it is not the will of your Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. There's a lot to be taken out of that. For one thing, I love the fact that it says he will go to the mountains. Mountains represent difficulty, they represent trials, rough terrain, dangerous. He's leaving the meadow, the green pasture, the flatlands, the safety to go into uncomfortable, to go into dangerous, to go into the mountains. Also, sometimes when you read this, people say, well, don't you care about the 99? Absolutely, the 99 are safe. And in this context, imagine if you, if you know Jesus in here, if you have a relationship with him, you're in the 99. Please come with us to go get the one. That's the purpose behind all of it. Just like this shepherd, we have to abandon what is comfortable or easy and endure what is difficult for the sake of the lost. Throughout every obstacle, Jesus chases people. Oftentimes, the church in general chases people away. He went out of his way to meet the lost where they were, had conversations and dinner with sinners. He never compromised who he is, but he loved them actively. And that is part of our calling as a church, to love the lost actively welcome uncomfortable situations for their sake. When we try to fit non-believers or new believers into our mold, and we ask too much too soon, this is the first point, we end up putting them out of place. When we ask too much too soon, we try to fit them into our mold, we put them out of place. When we want people to behave like a seasoned believer before they know the Lord, or worse, we try to change their behavior before Jesus changes their heart, It can't be done. And when it comes to serving in the church, this is what I've learned. Desperate churches will put new believers or even non-believers in charge of various ministries just because the task has to get done. I've seen it happen many times. I am thrilled to say I've never seen it happen here. That's something that I'm very excited to see in this church. I've had it happen to me. Okay, walk with me here for a minute. I, I took a job at a church. I moved 1,000 miles away to be the worship guy. In my first staff meeting, I was told uh, by my pastor that, hey, we're glad you're here and you're the worship guy. Also, part of your job is you have to be the expert on all things technical, audio, video, sound, lights. You gotta go get a camera and learn how to use it. John's loving this back there because <laughs> he knows exactly what goes into it. And I panicked, church, but I was excited to be there. But I was then put in a place that I wasn't prepared for, I wasn't passionate about, and I wasn't called to. And that began to burn away at me. It began to eat away at me. And I began to burn out. Another job, similar situation. I was hired very clearly to be the worship guy and the youth guy. And I mean, the first day walking in the office, I get two steps in, the pastor stops right in front of me and says, Hey, I need to add something else to you. Again, excited Josh, ready to be there. I'm like, Okay, what are we doing? He's like, Are you ready for this, Ryan? He's like, You're in charge of children's ministry. (laughs) Jim, you've been in children's ministry. Is that something you just throw at somebody? and I told him I said I love kids I love my kids but I am not called to this I know nothing about it and I'm not passionate don't care this is your job now So that's twice in my life I can tell you that's happened to me I was put a square peg in a round hole and I began to burn out and burn out hard in fact I'll be very honest with you and I've told the staff this when this when this position came along I was pretty sure I was done with church work in general Still love Jesus But my general thought was, okay, God, I will go to church. I will give. I'll even serve on a team somewhere, but I am done with ministry as a vocation. And it was because of situations like this and the whole time God was laughing, saying I have a much, much better plan and a much better idea. When we begin to put production over people, we have to remind ourselves that the functions of a church don't save souls. Knowing and sharing Jesus does. We've got to circle back to those four words, to see souls saved. Say it with me, to see souls saved. It goes back to that every time. And here's the crazy part. Even if we manage to put someone in a position and they get the job done, even if we manage to modify a new or non-believer's behavior, but we don't introduce them to Jesus or we don't disciple them, we're not developing disciples, we're just creating clones. And at the end of the day, that's ultimately useless. It's the difference between teaching someone to sing and teaching them to worship. Do you see the difference there? They're two very, very different things. I've done both, and they're very loosely related, if at all. Does anybody run? We got any marathon runners in here? Raise your hand, anybody? I knew I belonged here. It's like one marathon runner, this is perfect. Perfect. But if you have or you've been around it and and you've probably seen it enough to know that there is an insane amount of preparation that goes into a marathon. We're talking weeks, months, years. People eat the right things. They run this much every day. Then they up it to that much every day for months and months at a time. They do everything right in preparation. Well, when we put too much too soon on people, it's like walking up to a non-marathon runner and saying, hey, I signed you up for a marathon. By the way, it's tomorrow, I mean, I could do it, but that's, you know, that's different. I don't think I could ever run. When We ask too much too soon. When we put people out of place, we are ultimately putting them in harm's way. When you put someone in a position that they're not trained for, not passionate about, not called to, you've already put them out of place and you are absolutely putting them in harm's way. Mental harm, emotional harm, worst of all, spiritual harm. Haven't you met a non-believer that told you they want nothing to do with church, nothing to do with God because of the way believers treated them or someone they cared about? I've met a few, it hurts. It hurts a lot. When we do that, guys, you might as well hand someone the keys to a fire truck and say, by the way, you're in charge of putting out all the fires in town now. Them and whoever they try to help are gonna get hurt. It's not a healthy situation. And when we put people out of place, and we put people in harm's way, this is the truth. We're ultimately pushing people out the door. Absolutely pushing them out the door. Love it or hate it, people will judge God's love for them by our kindness, our love for them, our kindness and our love for each other. In Romans 2, it's talking about judging others and more or less how we shouldn't do that. It picks up in verse four and says this, or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, forbearance and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance. I'm gonna read that last line again. God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance. If we want to see souls saved, it 100% begins at kindness. That is the price of entry and nothing less. And there's more to it than that. If we want to see souls saved, we start with kindness to people who come in our doors. Here's the crazy part. We got to love each other. Even Neil. You have to love him. You know I love you, Neil. Neil. But we have to not just pretend. We have to actively, just like Jesus actively loves us, we have to actively love each other. John 13, 34 to 35 says this. A new command I give you, love one another. As I, as, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. He doesn't just say, think about it or pretend to. He says, do it. And he says, love each other as I have loved you. The way Jesus loves you is the way we're supposed to love everyone in this room. Now take a good look around this room. Can you do that? Is there someone in here that you got beef with? I hope not. If so, Pastor Don will have counseling sessions until 3 a.m. after the service. Just kidding. When people walk into this building... Any given week, two things they should identify immediately. There is kindness and there's genuine love. Kindness and genuine love. If we want to see souls saved. So, what do you do with all this? Here's what I would like. You can go ahead and stand with us. We're about to sing another worship song together. No, we're about to worship, not just sing. I want you to get this in your head. Think about someone you know that you've been unkind or unloving towards. Go ahead and get that person in your head. Someone you haven't made amends with. Most of us in this room have one. I had one recently. I don't mind confessing to you. I had a friend who needed me, reached out to me day in and day out, late at night, and I got overwhelmed and I turned my phone off. And when I finally answered, the first thing I said is, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I got stressed out. I was running when you needed help. So I want you to get that person in your mind. And as we worship, I want you to pray and ask God, first of all, to forgive you. And second of all, to help you make amends with that person. And this is the crazy part. Before you go to bed tonight, contact them, text them, call them, email, doesn't matter. And just say, hey, we need to talk. And if they're kind enough, To say, yeah, let's talk. When you talk, the first thing you do is confess. The first thing you do is say, I've been unkind. I've been unloving. And here's how. And ask them to forgive you. I promise you this. God can work through that kind of honesty and that kind of humility. I promise he can. And I hear this is from us, from our church to everyone in this room. We've heard a lot lately about people wanting to serve and, and not sure how or not sure where or not sure if they should ask. So here, here's us confessing to you. Serving is part of your life as a Christian within the local church. So if you're not sure where you fit, email me. I'll tell you right now, my email is josh at life. Now don't hear me say, email me and I'll have you on stage next week leading worship. But I'll walk through the process and find where you fit. I'll direct you to the right people. If you're not serving and you know that you should be, it could be in the sound booth. It could be on a camera. It could be smiling and greeting people on a Sunday morning. It could be up here on the stage playing worship. But I'm, I'm challenging you to actually email me, josh at perryhall.life. And I will walk through that process with you and find out where you fit. Go out this week and be kind and be loving. Love you, church. Thanks for checking out the Perry Hall Family Worship Center podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a review. If you want to know more about our church, go to perryhall.life.